Welcome to See, Hear, Feel. Today I'm with Dr. Jared Gardner, a dermatopathologist and bone and soft tissue pathologist at Geisinger Medical Center in Danville, Pennsylvania. He was formerly an associate professor of pathology and dermatology at the University of Arkansas for Medical Sciences, and he was also Dermatopathology Fellowship Program Director there as well. He's Deputy Editor-in-Chief of Archives of Pathology and Laboratory Medicine. He's very well-known and famous in social media circles with a YouTube channel dedicated to education, and numerous trainees and practicing physicians have told me how valuable that channel is to them. The link will be in the show notes for that. He has inspired many, including me, to take up social media. On Twitter, you can find him at at J.M. Gardner, M.D. He is married to a physician, a child psychiatrist, who also had a marriage and family therapist degree prior to attending medical school. They have three daughters, ages nine, eight, and six. So he is quite busy, and I really appreciate him taking the time to speak with me today. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I have the sense that he has a lot of emotional intelligence. So I wanted to talk to Jared today about emotional intelligence and what it means to him. But before I do that, uh, just let me ask him to share just a little bit about himself on a personal level. Well, I first, I think that's the only time I've ever heard someone say that they think I have a, a high level of emotional intelligence. I'm really honored because I, I don't feel like I uh, natively do. I've just, I basically picked up a bunch of stuff from my wife and just, just uh, say the things that she said to me and that it sounds uh, smart, I guess. So um, I don't know on a, what, what do I tell people about me personally? I guess, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I do a lot of pathology stuff and it's very much uh, infused in all of my life, but in my, in my spare time, I well, I guess I, I grew up, I was born in Ohio and grew up there till I was a teenager and then moved to Florida near, near Pensacola. And that's where most of my family still lives. Uh, beautiful white sand beaches there. And, um, and then I moved around the South part of the United States. Uh, I lived in Alabama and then I lived in New Orleans for med school. I was there when Katrina happened, lost my house and all my stuff at that point. And then, which ended up working out fine, went to Houston for residency and then Atlanta for fellowship at Emory. And then I worked in Arkansas for eight years before getting this amazing job opportunity in Pennsylvania which after 25 years was the first time I came back to the North and I, I realized how much I missed uh, the snow in the winter time. So, so it's been uh, really fantastic. I've lived here uh, not quite two years yet, but I've, I've just been loving it. Um, and then in my spare time when I'm not doing pathology stuff or, or, you know, trying to keep my, the chaos of my home under control with my daughters. Um, I like to, I like to garden. Um, I grow vegetables and flowers and herbs, and then I like to cook. And I dabble in guitar, and then I'm uh, working on learning language. I, I, I speak a bit of Spanish, uh, kind of somewhere between basic and intermediate, and still pretty basic Arabic. I've been studying Arabic for about a year and a half, and it's really, really hard, but it's an awesome, uh, fun, fun challenge. So that's kind of what I do in my spare time. When I said earlier that I think you have a high level of emotional intelligence, I did mean it. I mean it from the sense that I get the sense that you're very aware of how you feel, but maybe I'm wrong. I started med school when I was... Yeah, yeah, 20. So I was a lot younger than the people in my class. And I feel like I was less mature than a lot of people in my class in retrospect. And I don't think I had a good insight to that at the time. But now I look back and I'm like, oh, cringe. I was just, I can't believe I said that or did that thing. So over time, I feel like I have picked up more on on like how I feel about things and how other people feel about things. And I've, I've tried to be more thoughtful of that. Seeing what happens when things don't get handled the right way and, and the outcomes, that's made me more, I think, uh, cognizant of it and more thoughtful about it because I, I don't want to hurt people, right? And so uh, 
trying to think about how other people feel and how I can handle things in a way that doesn't negate other people's feelings is helpful. And then also working through how how I feel about things and why I feel that way can be helpful. Because sometimes you, you don't know, like, right, either you like, I feel unhappy right now or uncomfortable, but I don't know what I'm actually feeling. And then you take some time to think about that and then figure out, well, why do I actually feel this way? And sometimes it's frustrating when you feel a negative emotion and you don't understand why you feel that way, because you're kind of trying to find a place to put the blame or the find the cause and, and you can't quite put your finger on it. And it's, it's annoying. I spoke with David Caruso, an expert in emotional intelligence. And a lot of what you just said ties exactly into what he and his colleagues developed as the emotional intelligence ability model. An ability model meaning that it's able to be improved. We can actively change our emotional intelligence and make it better. And a lot of it is about language. And that's what you just touched on when you were saying, well, what do I really feel? Sometimes I don't really know. And similar for me, when I think it's more of a quote unquote negative emotion, so maybe meaning anger or extreme sadness, you know, we think of those, I think, at least in the US culture as quote unquote negative emotions. Yeah. What David Caruso has sort of been teaching me as I've been speaking to him, we shouldn't actually think of emotions as negative or positive, they're just data. And when I think of it that way, it's helpful to me. Still, for me, the problem is I'm like, well, the data, just like when you look at a slide, I'm like, well, there's all these things. Here's epidermis, here's dermis, there's some cells, there's spindle cells, but what do those spindle cells mean? I don't know yet. So sometimes I still can't, I don't know. Am I angry? Am I sad? Like, what is this? It, or and, and he also says you can feel more than one emotion at once. So one slide can sometimes have more than one diagnosis. Yeah. When you feel intense emotion, about something, sometimes that can um, bias us, I think, in our decision making, right? Um, either either if it's a pleasant kind of emotion or an unpleasant kind of emotion or whichever way you want a positive, negative, whatever label you want to apply, you know, either way, really strong emotions can sometimes alter the logic of our thinking. And so I, I have found one thing that, that making big decisions is probably best done when you are not super upset or super, you know, super angry. We like to fix in medicine, right? And and then I think also kind of thinking about what are the different approaches and the different options from, you know, from even ones that seem like they're crazy ideas, like to kind of list them out and think about the approach and then think about what the right thing is to do. I mean, obviously that's usually the best guide is like, what is the right thing? Sometimes there's an obvious right answer, even if it's not necessarily the answer you want. Um, and then there's other times where there's not an obvious right answer, I think, where things are very gray and murky. And you have to kind of take an approach that might not make everyone happy. And then sometimes you can get input from more than one person. I found that helpful too, that in addition to my wife, sometimes I'll ask somebody else in my field, you know, like, hey, how would you handle this? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm worried it's going to impact my career or it's going to, you know, cause some problem. And then I think it's also been helpful for me to kind of step back and think this right now, this seems like a really huge deal, but is this really going to matter in a month or six months or a year or in the grand scheme of my life? Is it really that big of a deal? And, and it's in retrospect, I can see it more and more clearly that the things that I was, I was so worried were going to, you know, you know, hinder my career, cause a big problem, like really were just non-issues that I was making into a much bigger deal than they actually were. And it was really not that, that big of a, of an issue. And, uh, it's helpful to talk it out with someone because I think that was one thing is talking with my wife was not just that she gave me 
amazing advice, which she does, but it helped me a lot of the time. She didn't have to say that much, just getting me to kind of talk through it and think through it actually helped me to kind of uh, flesh out like what the real issue was and what the thing I was really upset about was, was not really what I thought it was, or, you know, there was actually something deeper that I was, I was overreacting because of this, or because I thought that that person was thinking or feeling this thing. We always think that we know, well, they're mad at me or they think this, but we don't know what's inside someone's head, right? We really don't. And we always imagine basically I'm, I'm paraphrasing, not every fight is worth having. And I, I didn't believe that at first, but then over time I found that to be totally true. You can expend a lot of energy on a fight that either doesn't matter or you'll win, but it's not worth the cost, right? The, of winning or um, that you'll never win and you'll just expend a bunch of energy in and you're never going to change this thing. It's not to say we shouldn't try to change hard things, but I think it has helped me a lot to sort out like, I'll start even typing the email and then I'm like, why? There's This is not a fight worth having. This is not a, a debate that needs to be had or doesn't need to be had by me or doesn't need to be had today, right? And I, I think that's been really helpful for me to kind of decide which battles I want to, you know, to go into, which which hill I'm willing to stand on and die on, you know, and which ones are just not worth it. And um, I didn't feel that way a long time ago. I was like ready to fight everything. And over time, that's really helped me to kind of focus my my energies in a, in a hopefully mostly positive direction. Yes, I think that's true. That basically what you said, it's a way to avoid burnout because if we're fighting constantly, it's not good for us either. And so we really do have to be able to choose the battles or a passion that's most important to us or several passions. We can't really actually do it all. That takes a lot of self-awareness and especially for someone like me who's a people pleaser, but the self-awareness to know what I want. And that's where I think, that's why I think coming back to my saying at the beginning that you're emotionally intelligent. In talking with David Crusoe, I think one of the important things of emotional intelligence is is being having that self-awareness of what you want and coming back to that fact of emotions being data. I think for all of us, the emotions we have, if we can pinpoint them and truly be aware of what we're truly feeling, that tells you what resonates with you, what battle you really do want to fight, what passion or passions you really do want to pursue, and that it's coming from you, not from my mom told me to do it, society told me to do it, my boss is telling me to do it. Of course, all those things at different times we have to do. I want my kids to listen to yeah. me. You can't like live your whole life around around that, right? I mean, you do have to kind of have some internal direction of what matters, right? What has meaning for you in your career, in your personal life, all of it. And yeah, you do have to, to take into account the needs and desires of other people to some extent, especially the people who, you know, pay your paycheck and, or you'll, you know, pay for your home and, and food when you're a kid, you know, those kinds of things, but you have to have something beyond just, just doing that. And I think, I think to me, that's contributed to avoiding burnout. Although I, I think in retrospect, I think I was coming close actually um, before I you know, kind of before COVID and switching jobs. I, I really had taken on too much for a long time, but, but that shift has actually been challenging for me to like deal with mentally and to kind of think through like, what do I really want out of my career and what stuff do I need to do to make that happen? And what stuff should I say no to because it's not contributing to that. And um, that's been helpful in weighing out what things to say no to is trying to think, does that actually serve the goal that I of what I really am trying to accomplish? Or is it just some other thing? Or is it just something I'm saying yes to because I feel bad about saying no? And everything I say yes to is something else I'm saying no to actually 
just in advance because I'm using up all the time and then I've got no time left to give to other stuff. If you're doing so much other stuff that you don't get time to work on the core things that matter to you, then what's the point, right? What's the point? So thinking through that many times, it was not just a simple one-time thing. That really helped me a lot. And and I still have to go through that process um, every time pretty much. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. You're welcome. It was really fun and I'm happy to do it again anytime.